Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Yerba Buena was a meaningless little town where nothing ever happened. It fought no wars, it came up with no inventions, it created no masterpieces. Its only legacy is the memory of a picnic. So let's say goodbye to it here, with the sun setting over the Pacific and songs in English and Spanish rising up from a camp at the end of the continent. Hello, Heather Knight, and welcome to our Gary Camilla episode, a.k.a. our most San Francisco episode ever. Yes, Gary is a quintessential San Franciscan. He's the author of one of our favorite books, Cool Gray City of Love, and the more recent one, Spirits of San Francisco, which was illustrated by Paul Madonna. He also writes a history column in the Chronicle that appears every other Saturday. It's called Portals of the Past. So if you want to know anything about San Francisco, Gary's your guy. Yeah, we recorded in Gary's North Beach patio, which is a few blocks from Cafe Trieste, Washington Square Park, City Lights Bookstore, and about 30 other old school San Francisco things. It started raining on us, and I didn't even mind because that felt like the San Francisco thing to happen. Yes, so we, it was drizzly weather in North Beach, and we had our Cafe Trieste cups of coffee, so all was right with the world. Another San Francisco thing, we went on Gary's Cruising Through History boat tour, which is basically Cool Gray City of Love on a boat with accordion music. Yeah, we really lucked out on that day. It was beautiful skies, clear blue sunshine, and we were on a boat going all over the bay, and Gary's telling really funny, smart stories about San Francisco history while his friend Allison Lovejoy is playing music, and everybody was just having a great time. So um, it's a five-session series, and you can still catch uh, some more of them, and there'll probably be more next year, Gary said. Yeah, the next one is Saturday, December 4th. It leaves at 11 a.m. from the Ferry Building, and there's a second one at 1.30 p.m. from Sausalito. He's planning another one in January, and then he's going to continue and do another series after that. You can find out everything that Gary's doing at www.garycamilla.com. And I want to mention, too, I've been on a history cruise with East Bay yesterday's Liam O'Donohue, and it was also fantastic. Um, I'm a history cruise guy now. <laughs> well, I mean, who isn't? In this episode coming up, on Gary's patio, we talk about his first memories of San Francisco, why El Farolito is not Carl's Jr., <laughs> and a lightning round that isn't really a lightning round. Gary doesn't do lightning. No, Gary is a great guy in many respects. Giving quick, quippy answers is not one of them. Yeah, I, I agree, but it's great. I didn't cut a second of it out. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight, and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. 
Welcome to Total SF, Gary Kamiya, and to your own front garden. Oh, thank you, Heather and Peter. It's great to be here. We, we were coming up here, we ran into each other, and we were talking about it. Um, I'm not going to give your exact location, but I'll say that if someone were to tell me, you know, guess where Gary Kamiya lives, um, I would have looked on a map and I would have been within a block <laughs> because because you are near like all the historic things. And um, what did you see coming up, Heather? Well, I knew I was within walking distance of Cafe Trieste, so I have a giant coffee sitting right in front of me right now. <laughs> Which means if Heather begins to speak really rapidly <laughs> in about 15 minutes, you, you, you'll know why. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go by the Beat Museum and City Lights. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> well, we love North Beach, so super fun to be out here. Yeah, it's a yeah. great neighborhood. Yeah. So you were born and raised in the East Bay, and do you remember your very first trip to San Francisco, or were you always just coming here? Um, I most—I don't know if I remember my first trip, but I have a very vivid memory of Chinatown from being a kid and just seeing all the neon lights and the, you know, the the, the Chinese-looking architecture and just being sort of thrilled by it, and of course. That rainbow bridge, you know, that sort of Valhalla-like bridge that you come over uh, was imprinted in my memory. So, yeah, it was, uh, I have distant but very acute memories of San Francisco from being a kid. And how old were you when you realized you wanted to actually live here and this was home? Uh, I guess it was when I, uh, after I dropped out of college, worked in a shipyard, came back and... I lived for a while at my dad's place, um, my father and stepmother's place up in uh, Cumberland Street in Dolores Heights. So that's when I, um, and I uh, had briefly lived in the, uh, in the sort of lower Pacific Heights. And right around that time is when I just began to realize, like, hey, I'm a city boy. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I, love, I still love Berkeley, but uh, that's, that's San, I got the San Francisco bug in my early 20s. And you still have it. And I still have it. I've read you and I've gotten to know you a little bit over the years. I read you in the Chronicle. I read your books. I've gotten to the point where I can't imagine you anywhere else. Do you do you take like a vacation to L.A. or <laughs> what, do you go anywhere else or are you just like? Is it kind of like the shopping cart at Albertsons when you hit that line on the city limit? You just kind of come to a halt. I've got an ankle bracelet that prevents me from leaving the city. No, I I love to travel. I love I go to New York all the time. Uh, you know, I just came back from a wonderful trip to Croatia, so I love to travel around the world. But the great thing about San Francisco is that when at, wherever you're coming back from, it could be like the most beautiful coastline in the world, like the Adriatic coast of Croatia, or, you know, the greatest big city in the world, New York, wherever, Paris, London, wherever it is you're coming back from, uh, you're always delighted to be back in San Francisco. And that's, uh, that's a wonderful thing. Well, we, we had the pleasure of taking your cruising through history boat tour. Uh, combines the Bay history, accordion music, and I believe adult <laughs> beverages. I didn't yes. have one, but I'm pretty sure others were. Ollie Volts uh, had one. Ollie Volts <laughs> had one. Four of my favorite things. Um, here's some audio from the tour we're going to play right now, featuring an unheralded early San Francisco badass name, Juana Briones. Um, she was one of the most remarkable women in the history of the city and what her a formidable and extraordinary human being not just for her time but for any time. She was born in this strange kind of retirement home for Spanish soldiers in Santa Cruz called the Villa Bronceforte. Now unfortunately 
uh, Juana's husband turned out to be an abusive drunk and she left him struck out on her own which was an extraordinary thing to do in patriarchal 19th century California um, and it was made more difficult by the fact that she did not know how to read or write but she was an incredibly resourceful woman she opened a dairy ranch near Washington Square in North Beach and she sold milk to sailors from ships and also helped runaway sailors and as uh, Allison alluded to in her song she was also a renowned curandera or healer uh, using uh, herbs and, and native remedies that the Indians as well as her family had uh, taught her about and she was also a first-rate businesswoman uh, she was able to maintain clear title to her land even though she couldn't read or write and she eventually bought a big cattle ranch in the Santa Clara Valley which she ran successfully she moved near uh, Mayfair in Palo Alto where she died at the age of 87 um, and she had went, went at the end of her long life she'd lived under three flags and seen the hamlet that she helped develop become the eighth largest city in the United States so next time you're in uh, North Beach check out the north uh, east corner of the park there's a bench uh, dedicated to her she's one of the city's great heroes so gary what do you look for in a good history story um wh what do you what are, what are kind of the hallmarks of of something that you're just like god i just want to tell this well, you know, like, as you guys well know, as, as journalists, it, it all starts with people. It starts with, uh, you know, what they used to call human interest. But it's, it's drama, it's tension, it's, it's whether it's heroism or, or misdeeds, a conflict. And so, you, you know, you, you, you strive for the kind of engagement with people that draw people in. And then ideally those stories then illuminate larger historical, sociological, economic, what have you, themes that, that I'm trying to also talk about during these history tours. So you're trying to combine uh, really compelling narrative stories that are usually people-based with, uh, you know, larger historical points. Mm. I, and I think, too, like I, I came back and I was writing things down during the cruise and then got back and started Googling some of these figures. And what I found was, like, Juana Briones doesn't have a huge Wikipedia page. She doesn't have a Wikipedia page. There's not really, really? much wow. on the Google search, certainly not more than I got out of your tour. Right. And, um, and I think that's something that, you know, this, this boat tour gives. But I think that's also something that you seem to strive for going into directions that people can't just find it somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, with my Chronicle column, with the crews, with my books, you know, the last thing you want to do is just regurgitate stories that, you know, have been told a hundred times. And obviously it's inevitable you're going to tell stories that have been told because a lot of those stories are great stories. But even when I do that, I try to find some new material and I also try to unearth uh, stories that are just not well known. And, you know, one of the great sources for that is, uh, as you know, Peter, is digging around in the archives of newspapers. Um, that's an enormous resource that just is still really underutilized by historians. One subject that I come across a lot is the patriarchy and how white men are just, you know, always 
getting a leg right. up. And yeah. it actually just happened during this podcast because Heather and I have our uh, order of questions, mm-hmm. and I just took her questions. <laughs> you just stole, oh, my oh, questions. stole her questions. <laughs> patriarchy. You are the patriarchy. <laughs> I'm the patriarchy. So Heather, why don't you take the next two, okay? And well, then we'll even things out. Well, I slipped in the new question that you forgot. So, okay, um, good. Wanted to ask you about your other project that's going on right now, which is the public transit movie, Moving San Francisco. Can you tell me? I have not seen it yet, although I'm eager to. So tell me about it and your role. Oh, yeah. That's uh, that's a, f- a documentary made by this uh, wonderful uh, documentary team of Jim Yeager and Peter Stein. Um, I've They've made a lot of documentaries about San Francisco, and I had worked with them on their previous two. Uh, the first was called The People's Palace, which was about the history of City Hall, and the second was called Water from the Wilderness, uh, which was about Hetch Hetchy. So they decided to do one on the history of transportation, the present and future of transportation in San Francisco. And they, I started out being just what I'd been in the earlier films, a uh, on-camera interviewee, an expert source. But as the, after we'd done quite a bit of filming, um, or a long studio session or two, uh, they realized that they really needed that the film needed more dynamism. It needed like to be on location more. And they asked me if I would be the host and be on location and uh, talking about these, the history of the, tr- of the transportation uh, issues in, in the places where they took place. Um, so I agreed and it was, you know, kind of fast. It was definitely, you know, <laughs> learning on the fly, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, so the film just covers everything from you know, the Mission Plank Road in 1851 that opened up the Mission District to, um, you know, Andrew Halliday's uh, incredible invention of the cable car that everyone thought was a complete folly uh, to this uh, groundbreaking African-American businesswoman named Mary Ellen Pleasant who uh, sued a private transit company when they didn't allow her to board uh, a streetcar, and she won. Uh, so uh, that was a there's there's a lot of great great stories and then it moves into the you know the freeway revolt and uh, you know the issues of social equity and then the film tries to take a look at in obviously briefly at the uh, possible future of transportation in the region which is an enormous issue Mm -hmm. and it could only scratch the surface of it but um, yeah so it's a it's an ambitious project that that really tries to look at this subject that uh, it's an enormous subject and it touches on just about every aspect of life in the Bay Area. Uh, you, you write about flawed characters in San Francisco and you present it as a flawed city, but you seem to love it more than anybody. How would you describe your relationship with San Francisco? You know, I think that it's, it's one of those things where you, I say in Cool Gray City that I uh, drew like an imaginary line around the city limits. And I just decreed to myself that everything within that, you know, that 46.2 square miles was interesting by definition. It's kind of a deliberate attempt to take a smaller piece of the universe and something that you could conceivably have a lot of mastery of. No one could have complete mastery of any subject, but you can have, you can get deeply into it and then it becomes self feeding it becomes like a sort of snowball the more you know 
the more interested you get. And as you say, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, there's, it's not as if this is this, you know, Pollyanna-ish place where everything is just wonderful. It has its long history of misdeeds and racial inequities and bigotry and corruption and, you know, stuff that, <laughs> that Heather writes about today. <laughs> but the, uh, but at, the, at the same time, it has, you know, heroism and grandeur and the city itself I just find uh, eternally fascinating, not least because of its stunning physical beauty mm-hmm. and the fact that you know, I can walk out of my apartment here onto uh, Filbert Street on, you know, on, on the slopes of Telegraph Hill, and you, you can look, you're looking down at one of the great views of any city in the world, mm-hmm. and this is available to people all over town. So, yeah, so I think my attitude is one of... Uh, just deep engagement and it, it something that I pay attention to and uh, you know the act of paying attention to something in whatever you do whether you're a musician or a poet a journalist a writer a bus driver you know a, 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 ta- a taxi driver a store clerk paying attention to the world is a is a secret uh, not really a secret but it's a way of, of uh, you know really uh, living your life as fully as you can and I happen to have chosen San Francisco as kind of a prism to do that, mm-hmm. and it's been uh, really rewarding. And I, I don't find it, I don't find it work. I guess that's what it comes down to. Uh, doing all of my work about San Francisco is what the Marxists used to call <laughs> non-alienated labor. <laughs> it, it's, it's fun. I, I still enjoy everything that I research and write about San Francisco, and as long as that's true. I'll keep doing it because it's, uh, you know, that's, that's where it's at. Huh. I guess our podcast is non-alienated labor. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that. Let's keep <laughs> using that. Yeah. We'll be right back after this short break. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. There seems to be an uptick of San Francisco anger in recent years with East Coast media writing California off and wealthy men, almost always men, making a lot of noise as they leave is that a new phenomenon, would you say, or has San Francisco's golden age always been in the rearview mirror? I mean, there's definitely been people complaining about San Francisco from literally from the start of the gold rush. People coming to town. There was one rather famous European violinist who you know, came and said, this is the most vulgar, money-grubbing place. You know, Thoreau famously called the gold rush a disgraceful rush for riches. So there's always been people that just found the extreme uh, interest in money and wealth that, that characterized the city from the beginning and obviously characterizes some of it today. There's always been critics of that. There's always been people that have been, you know, been not, not on the San Francisco bandwagon. I would say that it's probably uh, gotten much more intense. Um, it's just undeniable that there's been enormous uh, demographic, socioeconomic changes mm-hmm. in the city. And so, of course, that's led to uh, more, more like hurt feelings, you mm-hmm. know, people feeling betrayed. There's this 
real interesting personal quality of like my city betrayed me this mm -hmm. i thought this was like a punk rock town or i thought this was an avant-garde jazz town or i or it was a language poetry town and it, it sustained you know abstract painters and modern dancers and now, and now people go, and it doesn't anymore. And I, I have to have a roommate, and I'm 50 years old. So, you know, and a lot of that is understandable. Um, it's, it's, but I think there's also a, a real danger. As my, my good friend John Law, who's one of the founders of Burning Man, he wrote in an anthology that I contributed to called The End of the Golden Gate. And he, he has this great phrase about creepily, like, French kissing your past. <laughs> and, you know, you, and you really don't want to get into that. You know, like, you don't want to just constantly be looking in the rearview mirror of the yeah. golden age when burritos were $2 and rent was $250. It's like, yeah, the, it was nice when it was like that, but you got to roll with the punches. And that doesn't mean that you just lie down and accept all of the changes that are happening in the city and you try to make it as good a place as possible. But you have to acknowledge that this is city life. Uh, San Francisco is probably city life on warp speed. Mm -hmm. But no matter where you live, uh, buildings are always being torn down. Uh, people are coming and going. There's some displacement. There's, you know, there's some just change. And um, I try to be a, a little more philosophical about some of that, uh, partly just out of self, emotional self-protection, because mm -hmm. I don't want to walk around my city being in a bad mood all the time. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I, I left in 1999, the first dot-com boom. Actually, I left in like 2001. My wife and I ascertained we would never be able to buy a house here. Right. And what I learned is it's not like, it doesn't work like the cornfield and field of dreams where right. when you like pass a certain point, you're like, you're, you're not a ghost anymore right. or whatever. I mean, I, right. I live in Alameda and right. I spend more time exploring the city than when I lived here. Right. And I feel like Heather and I, like during our travels with this podcast and what we've been doing, some of the most San Francisco people I meet are people who don't live here. Right. In some cases have never lived here. Right. And, you know, I... Anyway, yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like San Francisco can still be for you even if you don't happen to be in the city limits, even if you're not a fifth-generation native. I think that needs Ab to be thought of as Ab more flexible. Absolutely. And Ernest Hemingway sort of put that in the definitive way in one of his finest books called A Movable Feast, and that refers to Paris in his case. He says, Paris is a movable feast. You can carry it with you wherever you go. Mm. And um, I think that's true. Nobody owns San Francisco. Nobody, you know, nobody was here first. Nobody gets to pull their beard at the newcomers. Uh, if you do that, man, it's like, you know, it's like Duke Ellington said, you, you know, you stay young by playing with young cats. So you've got, you've got to, uh, you know, uh, accept this flow and this change. And, and, it can, and as you say, Peter, it, it can be you can uh, love San Francisco from very, very far away. I've gotten really sweet letters from people that live not even in the United States that still have these great memories of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that, you know, it's a lot of it is in one's mind and in one's attitude and in one's ability to remember and, and, and uh, preserve uh, a good, good thoughts and memories of a place that, that a lot of people love. Well, Heather is about to tell you that you've survived all the regular <laughs> questions and we're headed to the lightning round. But first, let's one more time um, just talk about cruising through history. If you could just give us the the where, where people can sign up and the dates coming yeah. up. So, uh, yeah, I give these series of history cruises on the bay through an outfit, a wonderful outfit called Tideline. And you can find them at Tideline.com. And uh, it's a series of five. 
and they each deal with a different major section of San Francisco history, and I have now done three of them. And the next one, the fourth one, is on Saturday, December 4th. They're always on Saturday. They always leave at 11 o'clock from the ferry building, and then there's a second sailing from Sausalito at 1.30, and they last about an hour and a half. And uh, I collaborate with a wonderful uh, pianist and composer, Alison Lovejoy, so that not only am I telling these stories, but she's providing both period and original music, which really adds a tremendous element to the feeling. Um, yeah, they're lots of fun. I do a lot of research for them. I tell a lot of great stories. And yes, there are adult beverages available for those that are prepared to begin that behavior at 11 a.m., which is actually very much in keeping with a lot of the people I talk about. 11 a.m. would be disgracefully late by their standards. But um, yeah, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun. And uh, there's, uh, there's two more. The fifth one, the date's to be determined. Uh, probably in mid-January, and uh, we're planning to begin them again. So uh, we should uh, kick start. Then uh, there should be a new series uh, kicking off probably in the spring. I would hope. So uh, yeah, it's uh, cr they're called cruising through history with Tideline tours. And and uh, go to your site. Is that the best place to go? Uh, yeah, you can you can go to my site uh, to to get information on them. Uh, GaryCamilla.com. I've actually got to update it, so uh, you know it's anyway, there. Yeah. I checked. This yeah, but morning, I think yeah. I'm, I think I need to update my info. I'm pretty I'm pretty <laughs> much of a luddite, so anything that I do technically is likely to be weeks or years behind. But you can also find out, um, uh, you know, it's my Facebook page if you do if you do Facebook, or you can go to um, uh, Tideline uh, Tideline.com. Always has the uh, calendar of the of the tours on that as well. Well, like Peter said, you've survived the serious questions, and now it's time for the lightning round. I know you've answered some of these questions on our library, like Zoom stuff, but never on the Total SF podcast. Where's your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Mm. Oh, man. Well, it just has to be El Farolito on 24th. Oh, do you want the one to open in North Beach, even though it would I be? totally do. <laughs> I, I find that to be a grotesque example of, of mistaking the letter versus the spirit of the law. Uh -huh. uh, I'm sorry, whoever made this decision, but El Farolito is not Carl's Jr. And no, one, <laughs> no one is going to feel like we've been franchised out <laughs> if this fantastic, I don't know how many they have, eight or nine around the Bay Area or something. It's not, you know, it's a local outfit as far as I know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like, come on, this is ridiculous. And so I, yeah, I'd love, we have, I, we have a pretty good one in North Beach, uh, Zorro, uh, down in Columbus. That's not bad either. But uh, but El Farolito is uh, dear to my heart. And when I lived in Bernal Heights, um, you know, a few years ago, I, I spent a year there, and I, that was I, that was a regular pilgrimage to El Farolito. <laughs> so I love that place. But, I think you know. that could be a new tagline for City Hall. Come on, this is ridiculous. There'd be a well-worn. <laughs> The, the, the tread on that tire would wear out pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Um, probably. Uh, oh, it has to be Vertigo. Uh, Vertigo yeah. is, is the big daddy, and Vertigo just is perennially haunting and strange. It exceeds, I think, Hitchcock's intentions in an amazing way. 
uh, just and it has willy-nilly and it's really one of those amazing things the fact that she's haunted by this ancestor who's like a Californio, this Hispanic ancestor. I'm sure Hitchcock didn't know anything about California history, to, but this is uncannily, actually politically and historically deep. Huh. Um, you know that this, you know the the unjust dispossession of the Californios of the Hispanic. Uh, people of the Mexican era by the Americans that flooded in in the gold rush yeah. and just the, and all this, the fact that it was filmed on the Mission Dolores Cemetery in part which is really one of the great deep places so that's, a, that's just an incredible f- film but there's, there's Days of Wine and Roses uh, is another extraordinary film filmed in San Francisco much of it filmed right up here on, on top of of Telegraph Hill, and of course, uh, this is—it's actually not a great movie, but it has some of the greatest images, and it's a very iconic, classic film. Is Dark Passage? Uh, it's one of the most implausible films ever made. You know, Humphrey Bogart's escape from San Quentin when he just happens to run into Lauren Bacall, who's driving by. Uh, but it does have a priceless Golden Gate Bridge scene when, like, you know, she stops at, at the toll taker. There's nobody on the bridge, and, the, and it's, it, it's almost a very Hitchcock-like device. It's just designed to make you squirm. The, the guy <laughs> in the toll booth engages in a lengthy conversation with her. You know, it's like, uh, oh, I hear there's a, an escaped convict in San Quentin. What do you think about that? She's like looking around nervously. Humphrey Bogart's like hunkered down in the back and they're having this like 30 second conversation. It's completely hilarious. The the sad thing is that my kids are going to watch that and go, what's a toll taker? Yeah, right. (laughs) Where's your favorite place to get a stiff drink? Oh boy. Mm, that, that, That could be a lengthy... A lengthy subject. Um, I am very partial because I live in North Beach to the sort of two old daddies of North Beach, which is Vesuvio and Specs. Um, those are just, you know, classic, wonderful bars. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I like to stop in at the saloon, uh, which has fantastic blues, too. So uh, I, I, love, I love the old, the old San Francisco bars. There's one that's not as, as well known in North Beach that's really fun called Sweetie's Art Bar. Mm. And it's kind of on the northern edge of, of North Beach. And that's a really fun place. So, um, yeah, but the list, the list of stiff drink places could, <laughs> Is lengthy. could, could go on and on. <laughs> What's your favorite alley in San Francisco? Ah, uh, boy. Um, I would have to say uh, Ross Alley in Chinatown mm-hmm. is pretty damn uh, extraordinary. It's where Little Pete was murdered. It has just this, you know, Chinatown alleys have... A je ne sais quoi, a, a, a depth, a link with the old, the old days of, of whether it's the Tong Wars or just uh, you know the the heyday of, of the the mysteries of Chinatown, some of which were overblown. But it was it was an incredibly fascinating neighborhood, a city within a city, and its alleys uh, continue to have this you know extraordinary romance. Mm-hmm. I think so. I I love I love. And there's many many great Chinatown alleys. Um, but North Beach also has wonderful, wonderful ones. Um, and of course, there's some in you know, like there's one there's one like 
the Pemberton Steps, the Vulcan Steps uh, over by, uh, you know, the edge of the Eureka Valley Upper Market area. Those are some fantastic ones. Um, they're all over town. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's just wonderful. There's, there's some wonderful ones in, in, uh, in Glen Park. Um, there's like Ohlone Way mm-hmm. and Poppy Lane. Mm-hmm. That I'd, I'd read this as right. a book, the... Gary Camilla, Alleys of San Francisco. That'd yeah, be- no, maybe a hey, good idea. Maybe that'll I'll put that on the <laughs> You can give us some royalties. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, what is the most underrated neighborhood in San Francisco? Oh, boy. Um, I think, uh, I actually think that uh, Glen Park is is not as <laughs> probably celebrated as it could be. Um, that's a really fan- fantastic neighborhood. Another one that I love, and I love it because it's right near Glen Canyon. It's it's right by public. It's by Bart. Uh, the the hills all fold in in a really intricate, interesting way. It's it's a really nice neighborhood. Another one is the one that I was just referring to around Eagle and Seward. It's uh, sort of the uh, upper market Eureka Valley. There's a little intricate neighborhood sort of tucked in. Uh, uh, as you sort of go out of the Castro, but before you get all the way up Twin Peaks, that's a really fantastic neighborhood, mm-hmm. too. So, uh, yeah, but the, this city, because of its topography, there's just, it has so many wonderful, discrete neighborhoods that are separated from each other, and they have their own little character, mm-hmm. and um, there's there's just lots of them. I, I'm an Ingleside stan. Mm. Uh, Viz Valley, too. Heather and I have... Oh, yeah. Viz Valley's been going up with us. I, I love Viz Valley. Yeah. If only just because then you can go down to the Seven Mile House. Yeah. Well, one of the one of oh, the yeah. that's another great place to get a stiff drink. <laughs> <laughs> you could also do a book called Stiff Drinks with Gary Camille. Oh, <laughs> that, that might have some. Uh, make less there and might less be some. Co- there might be some on. collateral. Too much collateral damage to my liver. <laughs> what is your favorite Muni line since you just worked on this public transit movie? Oh, that's interesting. Um. Well, I was always, I was always kind of fond of the, uh, uh, the 22 Fillmore just has such a long, you know, interesting run. The 19 Polk is another one that just goes through so many different, you know, San Francisco realities uh, from the sort of heights to the depths. Um, and I, there's some funny little ones. There's, hap- there's one in my neighborhood I'm very fond of. It's probably the silliest but for me, a great line. The 39 coins. Yes, it does that crazy U-turn. It does a crazy U-turn, and it, it's, it only, its entire length is like half a mile. It yeah. like runs from Fisherman's Wharf to Coit Tower and back, and that's, that's the line. Yeah. So I, I'm fond of that one as well. Great. Well, I know you have another appointment, so we will let you go. But it was really fun to talk to you. Yes, nice, <clears throat> nice chatting with you too, Heather and Peter. Really enjoyed, enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, we enjoy everything you do. Uh, Thank you for coming on Total SF. (laughs) All right, thank you. Great. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com pod.
somebody recognize Peter on our oh, walk that's cool. over to your house? Right. This is super exciting because we have a running yeah. running joke that 85% of the time when we're hanging out together, right. someone will come up and go, oh, Heather Knight, I love your stuff. And, and oh, right. oh, yeah, I like you too. <laughs> you're, you're the guy who hangs out with Heather Knight. Every once in a while, I'll get someone who goes the other way. Right. And then I just start cheering. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like. Heather's my intern. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't even talk right. to them. They're, Peter, I read your parenting blog, and then I just, like, put my fist in the air, like, Judd, <laughs> yes. uh, is it Judd Nelson at the end of Breakfast Club? <laughs> I, don't know. I, uh, I was recording that. That'll probably be somewhere in the... Uh, I think we're good. Hold on. Uh, could you give me one more test, Gary? What? Yep. Where do yes. you walk your dog? Oh, just down to Washington Square, sometimes up to Coit Tower.